or open them up to the book of Job. That's going to be towards the left side before Psalms. Here's a little trick. If you take your Bible and maybe open it to the exact middle, turn to your left a little bit. You'll probably get there really quick. And um, I'm going to attempt to get this iPad to obey me. Okay, good. I'm going to begin reading from Job chapter 1. I'm going to read all the way through Job chapter 2, verse 10. And I believe the Sky Bible is active. All right, we're good. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and who turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of, of all of them. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this, did this continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and who turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you, put a hedge, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold... A great wind came across the wilderness and struck down the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked from my mother's womb, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. 
And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery, which he had used to scrape himself as he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women, as one of foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I'm going to pray with you. Our Father in heaven, we are gathered here as your people to worship. It seems um, a text is out of place this morning. But Father, for good reason, you have brought us to this moment in this place as your body. And so may the words of Job ring clear in our hearts and our minds, and may we understand what you have for us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, my sermon is written in the form of a letter. A letter uh, to my church family from me to you. I wasn't trying to do it this way, but as I typed it, it just came. So we just act as if it's a letter. And here's where it starts. Church, I want to say that serving you in the role of pastor is such an honor. CityGate's only three years old, but I can go on and on about how God is using his people to accomplish his mission here in our community. His mission to spread the gospel even to the ends of the earth, to build his kingdom So much so that we simply don't even have enough time to talk about all the amazing things that he has done. This morning, I want to pause from our study on the Christian home, our study in Ephesians, and consider what the word of God says about pain and suffering. And I'd like to ask this question. Why must we suffer? In just a short time as a community, together we have celebrated all sorts of amazing life events. We've celebrated physical new life in the birth of multiple babies, so many which I have personally lost count. We have celebrated spiritual new life of those who have received Christ by faith, baptizing 28 people. We have watched as people committed their lives to one another in marriage. We've seen families mature and grown their love for God and for one another. We've celebrated new jobs, new positions, new stages in life. It seems as though every few months we were blessed to be celebrating something new, exciting, and life-giving. Which makes this letter this morning seem so out of place. But let me assure you, it's not. There comes a time when a young church like ours comes face-to-face with pain. Or better said, there comes a time when our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we worship with, who we gather with, and who we labor in the gospel alongside with, begin to journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Church, there are brothers and sisters among us who have been given a hard path to walk, a steep mountain to climb, a dark road to navigate. 
as I was writing this, I was thinking back through this year. There are brothers and sisters among you who have said their final goodbyes to their loved ones. There are brothers and sisters who have suffered relational stress, stress which seems to have broken or fractured the relationship for good. There are brothers and sisters alongside of you who have received painful news about their personal health or the health of a loved one, which the end result is uncertain. It's in these moments that we will be consumed with probably more questions than can be answered. And this is what pain often produces, questions without answers. Family, the pain you are experiencing may have left you wondering or doubting or even suffering from despair. No doubt the pain you are experiencing has caused you to wonder where God is or doubt God's love and power or to feel as though you were alone. As a church, I do understand this feeling is a bit foreign to us because of all those smiley, stinky little babies we have been celebrating. I do understand that many of us may not know what to do in these situations. And many of us have become uncomfortable around others who are experiencing such pain, not intentionally, it just hasn't crossed our mind. If you are here and you are wondering how you should respond or support or speak with those who are in the valley of shadow of death, I just want to tell you, think of this as like a parenthesis in the letter. I want to tell you more times than not, those who are experiencing pain need nothing more than a loving presence of a family or a friend. Also, never underestimate how your presence can provide peace. And never underestimate the power of an unexpressed thought. That means be quiet. Church, as we attempt to love those who are suffering, let us remember what the word of God tells us about pain and suffering. And I think Job's chapter 1 and 2 are the perfect place to land. The book of Job is the second most powerful story we have about someone suffering under the loving hand of God. Job was a righteous man. He was blameless. He was a man who feared the Lord and who turned away from evil. Yet, yet, God allowed Satan to inflict such pain onto his life. His children were taken. The entirety of his wealth was stolen. There goes his 401k. His body was racked with pain and sores. Even worse yet, on top of all of that, his wife and friends gave up trusting in the Lord and encouraged Job to, quote, curse God and die. But notice, Job did not suffer because of sin. We can rule that out. And, if the gospel meant that we are supposed to be healthy and wealthy and rich, we can also rule that out because God stripped it all away. Notice Job did not suffer because he was evil. Notice Job did not suffer because God had lost a bet. Job suffered under the guidance of God because it was the will of God that Job endure suffering. And if losing his children, his money, and his will to live was not enough, Job's wife, his closest companion, encouraged him to curse God and die. When we read the story, you may think, what an unloving spouse. Where is this woman's faith? She doesn't help Job with his pain, at least from what we know. She only wants him to seek a certain type of revenge against God. It's as if she is saying, since you took my family, my home, my health, you will not get my worship. That's how I'll teach you, God. 
This is what her heart is screaming. She wants nothing more for than Job to scream just as loud as she is. But before we judge her too harshly, think with me how often we respond in our pain in the same way. For goodness sakes, she had just lost 10 children. We often respond in the same way with just more civilized words. We say, I've had enough. We say, I don't see a way out. We say, I cannot take this any longer. When what our heart is really saying is this, unless this situation changes quickly, then I am done with this life God has given me. I want you to know there is no judgment here. I think it quite normal for you to scream, curse, and even yell at God for dealing the hand you are holding. Because like Job, we often feel as though there is no way out or there is no reason for the pain. Or in fact, we cannot even think why this is happening at this moment in our life. All of this pain, frustration, and even anger pains, uh, floods the mind and seems to blend all the days together. So even when a loving friend shows up at your door and says, remember, God's mercies are new every morning, you're not really encouraged because you haven't recognized a new morning in quite some time. And there is Job in this very place of despair and confusion. He has nothing left, and even the most important person in his life is urging him to turn from God, the very God who created him and blessed him, the very God who kept him, all because the pain simply does not make sense. Like Job, maybe you are there sitting on your pile of ash, not knowing where to go or what to do, and so you sit. Friend, it is in moments like this where I would consider there are probably only two options. Two options for you to consider in the middle of your pain. Option one, curse God and die. Scream at him, grit your teeth at him, leave his church, walk away from his people, close his word, reject his savior. Convince yourself God doesn't exist and it was all in your imagination. You know, it may surprise you, but this does actually work for many people. And not in a good way, but it works. This is because a calloused heart, hardened from the pain and suffering endured in this life, will over time feel nothing if it is fueled with anger and bitterness. Anger, bitterness, and wrath, hatred is often prescribed as a cure for pain. And far too often, people take this route without considering the long-term effects. Nevertheless, this is an option. You can curse God and die. Or let me help you consider option number two. With empty hands, a poor spirit, and a less enthusiastic attitude, you can say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It just so happens this is the option Job has taken, if you read the book. It's 40-some chapters long. We only got into two beginning chapters. If you were to go through it, you'd understand a bit more. It just so happens that this is the option Job has taken. And this is the option I, your pastor, encourage you to take. But I do not encourage you to take this path because I understand what you're going through. 
The truth is, I don't understand what you're going through, which is why you'll never hear me say, I understand what you're going through. Because I don't. And many of us never will. But I want you to remember, option two reminds us that God understands what you are going through. Because, well, you're suffering under his hand. So as you consider what it means to bless the Lord in the middle of your mess, I want you to know this option comes from a long, with a long list of reminders that you should daily remind yourself as you bless the name of the Lord. You must remind yourself or be reminded that God is the very definition of good. In fact, good does not exist apart from his character. We don't even know what the word good means or is without the very person of God. He alone is God, and there is no one like him. He is the one who rolled out the skies. This is from the book of Job. He loaded the clouds with moisture. He's the one who causes the lightning of his cloud to shine. He created the storehouses of snow. He created every beast of the field and bird of the air. He has allowed every single baby that has ever been born to take his or her first breath. He is the one who determines every last breath. He is the one who upholds the world with the power of his word. Church, option two isn't easier. I would say, in fact, it's harder. And it's harder because it takes faith. It's harder because we are called to believe without seeing. It takes believing in assurance of things that you hope for. And it takes a conviction, a deep conviction about the things you cannot see. To bless the Lord in the middle of your pain is not easier, it's harder. Because we are called to let go of the control we so desperately want. And we're encouraged to hold fast to the faith that God has given us. Option two bids us to trust in what God says about himself, what God says about us, what he says about the world we live in, and even more importantly, what he says about his son, Jesus Christ. All the while, the pain is increasing, even while the suffering is stacking up, and even when there is no end in sight. You see, in the middle of suffering, Job can bless the Lord, not because he is trusting in himself to get through the suffering, but because he trusts in his God who has authored the pain, and he trusts in the God who knows the beginning from the end. I said earlier, Job is the second most tragic story in the Bible. And this is because there is another who suffered under the hand of God. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was betrayed by his friend, although he was the perfect friend. He was arrested under false charges, although he lived without sin. He was lied about in a court, although he broke no laws. He was executed in the worst way humanly possible, although he was innocent. And that's not where the tragedy ends. There was this moment just before Jesus was arrested where he cried out to God, his father, and he said, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, can I get out of this? Is there another way? 
Can your redemptive plan unfold in any other way than me walking to my own death and carrying my cross? My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The prayer of Jesus is heartbreaking in so many ways, but I want to tell you that this little heartbreaking prayer is packed with the power, the power you need if you are to endure whatever suffering may come your way. Whatever situation you find yourself in, may these words bring you peace beyond comprehension. Not as I will, but as you will. That small phrase is where your peace is found. You see, Job began to build the case. He began to build this case that through pain and suffering, God is going to do what God is going to do. And what God is going to do is good and righteous. And he's still blameless in the middle of it. And it's all for his glory. Job began to build the case that all those years ago, God was still good even while he suffered. You see, and Jesus proves this case to be true. God the Father crushed God the Son so that we would walk in freedom. God the Father turned his back on God the Son so that we would be welcomed into his presence. It was not the physical pain that tormented Jesus so much. It was that his Father who is in heaven, who he had a perfect, loving relationship with, did not come down to save him. Instead, he turned his back on him. And in that tragic moment, he turned his face towards you. This ultimate expression of pain and suffering is what brought light and hope to a dark and dying world. The pain Jesus experienced is for God's glory, and it is what is saving people from their sin day after day after day. Why must we suffer? Who knows? But I do know that you're not alone because the God whom you worship knows exactly what you are going through. If I were to rewrite option two, understanding what Jesus had prayed to his father, here's how I would, how I would rewrite it. It is the Lord's will to give and it is the Lord's will to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is in life's darkest moments when we are asked what we really believe about God. When you are down in the valley, this is when God will ask you, who do you say that I am? And listen, he's not playing a game with your sanity, although it often feels like it. He's increasing your faith. He's not a sadistic cosmic killjoy looking to get a group of people to grovel at his magnificent power. He's molding you, and he's forming you, and he's creating you into who he desires you to be. Could this be done without all the suffering? Maybe, but I suspect not. C.S. Lewis, an author and writer of days of old, said this, pain insists upon, upon being attended to. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world.
An author named Daniel Ritchie wrote this, We are most likely and most keenly aware of God's character while we suffer. It is when our self-sufficiency is peeled away that we see how weak we really are. And it is in these moments of weakness that, as God tells Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, his power is made perfect in our weakness. It is our pain that God has. It is our pain that God has us taste his power most intimately. And when you are broken, you will see God's true strength carrying you along as a loving father does to a son. When you are at the end of your patience, God will reveal to you how patient he is and how patient he has been as he has perfected you your entire life, as he sought to transform you since the moment he saved you so that he will prepare you for a far better kingdom that is to come. When you feel as though the world is not what you once thought it was, he will remind you of the glorious day where he will wipe every tear from your eye as he welcomes you into his everlasting kingdom. I will begin to end with a few reminders, still in the form of a letter. I just had to throw that in there. Why must you suffer? Who knows? What we do know is this. God is still God, and there is no other. His word is truth, and it will nourish your soul. His power is made perfect in your weakness. His son, Jesus, has bought you back from the depths of hell. His plan to redeem the nations, the nations is still gaining ground. His spirit still provides peace, peace that we can't even comprehend. His church is still the hope for a dark and dying world. Why must we suffer? Who knows? But we do know the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So when tomorrow comes and everything is still uncertain, remember that your God knows and he is holding you fast. Remember that your suffering is also putting on display the power of the gospel to your family and friends and to the world around you. Remember that when Jesus told you to be his light unto the world, do you think he told you, do you think he gave you that instruction not knowing you would suffer? I think he knew, and he told you anyway. Pain and suffering doesn't mean God lost control. It means that his plan is working out exactly the way he wants it to. So while you are there, sitting on your pile of ash. I hope we, your church family, will be supportive in the most effective way. I pray we will attempt to enter the pain with you without being too annoying. I pray we will not extract too much of your energy. But I hope and I would pray that we will remind you how suffering is a light in the darkness. Because it's true. God has appointed every one of us to be a light. And you are a light to those who love you 
and a light to those who are observing you. Live out option two. I'll leave you with, I'll leave you with these verses from Psalm 16, verses eight, um, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is the Lord's will to give and it is the Lord's will to take away. Church, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we admit our weaknesses.